Good morning, everyone. Uh, thank you so much for asking me to come and join you this morning to speak at your Mission Sunday service. It's a pleasure to be with you all. Uh, we've been so blessed at Harper over these years with quite a few Charlotte Chapel folks who've kind of gone over to the other side, so to speak, taking that long journey down the M8 to Glasgow uh, and have ended up at Glasgow. Rebecca, of course, uh, has been with us for a few years. We also are greatly blessed to have William and Dasha Chan with us and Emma McCracken and Dinesh. And of course, young Tom was with us for a year. So we've been greatly blessed by uh, quite a number of uh, Charlotte Chapel folks coming in, encouraging us and serving alongside us. Uh, and uh, that's been a great blessing to us. They've all been such an encouragement. Uh, and I too have enjoyed uh, fellowship with Paul and with Liam and with Andy for quite a lot of years now. So it is a joy to be with you here this morning. Let's come to the Lord in prayer as we begin. Precious Heavenly Father, we rejoice that you are the great God of the cosmos, the one who is holy, holy, holy. And we rejoice that you desire to see men and women, boys and girls from all over the face of planet earth, come to faith in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and be saved. And Father, as we reflect on the diverse cities that we have in our country now as we reflect on the nations coming to this country. Help us to think wisely and biblically about how we can reach the nations on our doorstep. Father, we pray that you would come and help us as we look at your word, come by the power of your Holy Spirit and feed our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Andy has asked me to share a little bit about uh, Harper Church's journey over this past 10 years. As a church that 10 years ago was 95% white British uh, and to the point where today uh, almost half of our congregation is from black and minority ethnic backgrounds uh, and is drawn from 35 different nations with large groups of significant nations part of our church family. And also just to kind of give some biblical reflection as to why we've leaned into that direction, why we've gone in that direction and, and run as fast as we can in that direction. It won't be news to any of you that cities are increasingly international spaces. There is an increasing ethnic and national diversity in our cities. And if you read the, the newspapers or the political magazines or, or watch the, 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 the news programs, you'll have noticed even recently, even in these past days and weeks, lots of discussions about multiculturalism, particularly in the context of the awful things that have been happening in the Middle East and how that's been impacting our cities here in this country. How do we manage to live together when we are so diverse? How do we engage with each other with respect? How do we interact with one another's cultures? How do we build a, a unified society when our values are so different? And these are huge questions for our society to be grappling with in these days. And there are increasingly strong feelings about it on all sides. But for the church of Jesus Christ, this situation is a, an immense Great Commission opportunity. In the past, 
people like Mary Slessor and John Payton had to leave Scotland to take the gospel to the nations. But now the nations have come to Scotland, and we have a huge opportunity to reach diaspora communities with the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. As mentioned earlier, I think Rebecca mentioned that Harper is located in Scotland's most ethnically diverse constituency. Ten years ago, the local primary school, which is a couple of hundred yards from the church building, was 60% black or minority ethnic, about 50% Muslim. Today, it's 95% black and minority ethnic and 80% Muslim. And we were in a very white church in the midst of that greatly diverse community. Now, if a church looks very different from its community, then it's not necessarily a problem, but it could be. And it's definitely worth thinking through why that is. And so all those years ago, we began a process of thinking through our values. You know, who are we? What are we, what are we here to do? What's our vision? Where are we going? With the eyes of, the faith, with the eyes of faith, where might God take us in the years ahead? And what's our mission? How, how are we going to get there? And over quite a number of months, we tried to look quite deeply at these things, tried to think biblically about these things, tried to refresh our, our vision and our mission and, and refocus it all around intentionally reaching out to the diverse communities around us. And so we, we set up as a core value. One of our core values was to reach out to diverse communities. It was a recognition that we were very white, Scottish, Northern Irish, uh, but everyone around us was from all of the nations, and we needed to see that as a real opportunity and try and reach them. And so we commissioned demographic research to try and learn more about the communities that were on our doorstep. We started to learn a little bit about Islam, given its prevalence in the area, given its prevalence in our local school, schools. We visited the local mosques, began dialogue evenings with the imams and the mosque committees, we started to think about how we could engage different communities, how we could evangelize them, establish disciples among them, and then equip disciple-making disciples among them. And as all of this praying and planning was going on, and completely unbeknown to us, Glasgow City Council entered into a partnership with the UK Home Office to enable Glasgow to become the main reception center for all of the asylum seekers that were coming to, to, to Scotland. More than that, they identified Greater Govan, which is our area, as the initial accommodation area. So very quickly, we had 4,000 asylum seekers a year uh, coming uh, to, uh, to our area. They were accommodated all within one mile of our building. We were 100 yards from migrant help. We were 100 yards from the, the housing providers. We were about half a kilometer from the home office. And suddenly, our very awkwardly located building, if you've been there, You'll know how awkward it is to get to it, but suddenly our awkwardly located building wasn't exactly the right place. And since then, it has been a constant period of change and transformation. As things grew and new communities arrived, we had to think through, what kind of church are we going to be? Are we going to just try and stay uh, white British and expect everybody to assimilate to how we do church? Or are we going to hold on to our white British church and maybe establish a, a, a Farsi congregation that could meet in the afternoon and a Spanish language congregation that could meet 
in the evening and have lots of little mono-ethnic congregations all sheltering under the umbrella of Harper. But we decided we didn't want to do any of those things, that we wanted to move increasingly towards being holding everyone together in an intercultural church. So that's why we have all these language translations. We're trying to hold us together as one congregation from many different nations, many different ethnicities. And we realized at the time when we chose to do that, that we would lose people because of that choice. People who wanted or needed more Farsi or more Spanish than we were willing or able to provide. People who wanted more single cultural adaptation than we could cope with. But we were clear that we wanted to be a multinational, multi-ethnic, intercultural church. And we wanted to be a church that, that welcomed these other cultural expressions. And so as Rebecca explained, we translate into a whole range of languages. We try and involve people from all of the nations in every aspect of service around the church. From time to time, we have readings from other language groups. So the reading might be in Farsi and English, or it might be in Spanish and English. And sometimes, and rather awkwardly, we try and sing in different languages now and again. We'll swap out a chorus for a Spanish chorus or a, or a Farsi chorus. And we have Farsi language groups. With the help of FIEC and other trusts and grant-giving bodies, we've tried to develop a team of cross-cultural workers. You met two of them and heard from two of them this morning. SIM International have been a, a hugely uh, significant mission agency for us and that they have been keen to work with us to help reach diaspora communities. It was through them that Lawrence joined us, and hopefully in the next few months through them, we'll have an, an Iranian pastor come and help us to, to continue to reach Iranians in Glasgow. At the moment, we're still in a situation where the, the, the leadership is pretty much white British, uh, but we're working hard to try and, and, and change that. So we've set up something called Antioch Academy, which is a, 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 a project with the aim of training intercultural leaders, building intercultural churches, and eventually uh, planting intercultural churches. So far, we've been mainly in the training aspects of things. We've got about 20 people doing uh, Crosslands base camp modules, 20 people from different nations working in Crosslands base camp modules. We've got three ministry trainees, uh, one from uh, Scotland, one from Pakistan, one from Nigeria, and they are training in Bible handling skills. We hope that some of them might move through into pastor and training roles in the near future. And that over the years ahead, we would see every aspect of church life uh, being truly intercultural. So that's a, a kind of fairly brief overview of what happened over a decade or more by God's grace. Uh, and for the time that we've got left, what I want to just do is uh, try and think through from a biblical perspective why, why we've done that, why we've gone in that way. From a biblical perspective, why should we be truly committed to reaching out to diverse communities? From a biblical perspective, why should it be important to us uh, to be an intercultural church? And I believe that there are four solid reasons why this should be on our agenda in our very international cities. And the first reason is because it's God's plan. It's God's plan. I think it's clear from God's Word, really all the way through, from Genesis all the way to the, to the end, that, that God's plan is to reach the nations. And there are lots of Bible passages that we could explore, but just turn your Bibles to Genesis 12, verses 1 to 3, till we 
have a look at this foundational passage. Genesis 12, 1 to 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Into the pagan, God-rejecting world of Ur of the Chaldees, that place which is in modern-day Iraq, into that world comes the Word of God to Abram. God issues a call to him in the midst of his unbelieving context. I don't know if you can catch maybe the, the agony of what God's presenting to Abram here. The decision that he has to make is really substantial, and it, and it grows in personal sacrifice as you work your way through Verse 1, go from your country, go from your kindred, from your family, leave your father's household. This was a real call, a real test of faith to a man who didn't really know this God. And the challenge of it was compounded by the vagueness of the order. Go, go to a land I will show you. No name for the land, no address, no time scale, just go. John Calvin says that, in effect, God said, I command you to go forth with closed eyes and forbid you to inquire where I'm about to lead you until, having renounced your country, you shall have given yourself wholly to me. Abram was asked to believe the bare word of God. And that word contained some amazing promises. Verses 2 and 3, we have at least five promises from God to Abram which constitute his call. God issues this call to him, go from your country, your kindred, your father's house to the land that I will show you. And then he enumerates five wonderful blessings that will be unleashed as a result of his obedience. Promise one, I will make you a great nation. The name Abram means exalted father. Now, there's a great irony here because Abram by this time is a fairly old man. He's 75. He has no children. His wife, Sarai, we're told elsewhere, is barren. She's infertile. So, here he is, Abram, walking through life with a name that means exalted father, and he has no children. And then along comes God and says to this childless old man named exalted father, I will make you a great nation. God was making an outrageous promise of outrageous blessing here to a childless old man. Promise two, I will bless you. Here he's saying to Abram, I will bless you. It is you who will receive my special saving favor. Abram's done nothing to deserve it. He hasn't earned it. It's God's special favor that God has chosen to show in whatever way he wants. I'll bless you, he says to Abram. Promise three, I will make your name great. On God's terms, he says to Abram, I will make your name great. You're going to be a great nation, Abram. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. Promise four, I will bless those who bless you. 
and him who dishonors you I will curse. The Hebrew nation that would spring from Abram, indeed the spiritual nation that would spring from Abram through Christ was to be, as one commentator said, Jehovah's evangelist to the whole world. And it would be the touchstone of blessing or curse for every nation. God says to Abram, those who acknowledge you as blessed will be blessed, and those who curse you will be cursed. Promise five, I will bless all the families of the earth through you. Now, this is the promise that I want us to get our eyes fixed on now, because here we get close to the heart of God's plan, God's great mission for the nations. God's great mission is to bless the peoples, the families of the earth. In all of their rich and varied diversity, God wants to bless the peoples of the earth. And how He does it, He does it through a chosen people and a Christ who is King. Right back in chapter 3 of Genesis, we have the first promise of the gospel. In speaking to the serpent, God said, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Sin enters into the world, and God says to Satan, there's a day coming when the seed of the woman will crush your head. Yes, you'll strike his heel, but he will crush your head. And the seed of the woman is Jesus the Christ, and he comes from the descendants of Abram. How was God going to make Abram a blessing to all of the peoples of the earth? He was going to do it by bringing the Messiah into the world through his line. He was a blessing to the world because Jesus would reverse the curse. He was a blessing to the world because Jesus would die for sin, pay the price, take the wrath, and make a way by which men and women, regardless of nation, country, or tongue, might be saved and come to God through his son Jesus. And Jesus did that not just for white, middle-class Scottish people. He did it for all the peoples of the earth, for the Africans, for the Asians, for the Europeans, for the rich, for the poor, and everything in between, for the men and the women, the boys and the girls. He did it for all of the families of the earth. We need to reach out to diverse communities because it's God's plan. It's God's plan that through Jesus Christ and His sacrificial death on the cross, all of the peoples, all of the nations, all of the different types of peoples might be blessed. And if we are parochial in our outlook, if there are communities or groups that we do not want to engage with, or in fact never even give a thought for engaging with, then we are traveling in the opposite direction of God's plan. If we are closed off to diversity in our churches, then we are potentially undermining what God wants to do among us. And if by being a bit less Scottish and a bit more international we can do that, then why not? Why should we reach out to diverse communities? Why should we value intercultural church? Because it's God's plan. Second reason, because it's Christ's command. Turn again in your Bibles, will you, to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28, reading from verse 16 to 20. It's a very well-known passage, and there we see it's because it's Christ's command. It says there, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. 
And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. It is Jesus' command. It's the command of Jesus. We see here that he wants us to reach out to diverse communities. It is Christ's command. What is it he wants from his followers? Go therefore, make disciples of all nations. And I don't think that's just about geography. It's every bit as much, I think, about culture and social factors as it is about geographical factors. Going and making disciples of all nations is our mission. It's our one activity. It's to be our one role or one reason for living. This is to be what we do. And it's what demonstrates that we are, in fact, Jesus' disciples. And the Great Commission is a matter of obedience. Reaching out to diverse communities is a matter of obedience. At the 2011 census in our parliamentary constituency in Glasgow, 40% of the people of Glasgow Southside ticked a census box other than white Scottish. And if you look at the data zones around our building, that percentage is even higher. There are more people who identify themselves as Muslims in our constituency than there are people who identify themselves as Church of Scotland. And yet in our area, the biggest group in our constituency is those who say they have no religion. I'm certain that when we eventually get the results of the latest census figures, the figures will be even higher. In 2022, the top name for newborn babies in the city of Glasgow was Muhammad. And if we are going to be obedient to Christ's command to make disciples among the nations, then we are certainly going to make an attempt to reach the nations that are all around our doors, that are in our next door neighbors, that the folks that we work alongside. Mary Slessor and John Payton and William Carey couldn't even dream of a situation like this. No longer just for a special few believers to go and reach the nations. Now for every single one of us to go and reach the nations in our increasingly multinational, multirational, multireligious mission fields. And Christ commands us to go. To go and make disciples of all the nations. So why should we value diverse communities? Why should we reach out to diverse communities? Because it's God's plan. Because it's Christ's command. Thirdly, because it's essential for health. Turn to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. Again, a fairly familiar passage. There we read. For just as the body is one and has many members... And all the members of the body, though many, are one body. So it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. 
And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Well, I'm sure most of you will know this passage quite well. Corinth was an incredibly cosmopolitan and diverse city. And the church in Corinth also reflected that diversity, that, that mix. Paul refers to that, I think, in verse 13. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free. And the Corinthians are all falling out with each other over spiritual gifts, amongst other things. Some were saying that their gift was more important than the others. Some were coveting gifts that they didn't have and failing to exercise gifts that they did have. And Paul's point was that all of these different people with all of their different gifts were absolutely necessary for the spiritual health of the church. They were part of the one body, having been baptized into that one body by the one spirit. So despising one another or rejecting one another or being suspicious of one another or failing to make room for one another was foolishness. It was as foolish as rejecting your foot because it wasn't a hand or rejecting your nose because it wasn't an ear. The diversity of parts was essential for the health of the body. And friends, I think this passage is equally applicable to all of the different types of people that we have in our society, that we have in our, in our church. In a city, there will be a strong international flavor. A church will have all sorts of people. It will have Brits and Africans and Asians, working class people, marginalized people, broken people, men, women, boys, girls, all sorts of diversity. And we need that diversity. We need to learn from one another. We need to understand the insights that we can learn from African Christianity. I often watch our African brothers and sisters worshiping and wish, wish I could have the freedom to, 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 to worship with them. I somehow suspect that when we get to heaven, our worship might be more African than it is Scottish. We have things to learn. We have things to learn from all the different people groups that are there. We've learned so much from the the, the, the folks from an Asian background about hospitality. You know, if you go to an Iranian household for your dinner, you'll be there all day and you will roll out the door fit to burst. It, it, it's an amazing experience to go for Iranian hospitality. We've learned a lot about family and extended family and, and what it means to actually be family from different uh, cultural backgrounds. We've learned so much. The church needs to learn all these different aspects, all these different realities of of life and culture. We think we know what we're doing until we encounter worship in an African context 
We think we know how to love one another until we see it. And in the Asian context, we learn so much from each other. We need to understand and learn from these experiences of other believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, I guess not too many of us here, some perhaps, but not too many of us here know what it's like to have to flee your country for the cause of Christ. Sitting down and talking to people who've experienced that, well, we can learn, learn so much. It's such a challenge. How, how many of us know what it is to scrape by in poverty day by day, building a new life in a new place? How, how many of us know what it is to cling to Christ even having ex, after having experienced uh, torture for his name? To spend time with someone who has and to walk the path with and we learn so much. We have so much to learn from one another. And so if I may be so bold, let me rework Paul's analogy a little. For the body does not consist of one kind of person, but of many. If the working man should say, because I'm not middle class, I don't belong to the body, that would not make him any less a part of the body. And if the African should say, because I'm not a Scot, I do not really belong to this body, that would not make her any less a part of the body. If the whole body were British, where would the sense of world perspective be? But as it is, God has arranged the members in his body, each one of them as he chose if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, many kinds of people, many nations, yet one body. Why should we reach out to diverse communities? Why should we value intercultural church? Because it's God's plan, because it's Christ's command, because it's essential for our health, and finally, because it reflects heaven's glory reflects heaven's glory. We started this morning in Genesis near the beginning of the story. Let's go to Revelation towards the end of the story. Revelation 7, beginning at verse 9. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing round the throne and round the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving, and honor, and power, and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Well, let's not rush into the controversies of Revelation and thereby miss the point. Have a look at verse 9. At this great multitude, 
this great multitude which no one can number. And look at where they're from. They're from every nation, Scots and Irish and English and Australians, South Africans, Congolese, Ghanaians, Nigerians, Pakistanis, Indians, Iranians, Chinese, and every other nation on the face of planet Earth, all the nations. And not only all the nations, all the tribes and peoples. There'll even be Aberdonians there, Dalits, Brahmins, Hindus, Hutus, Tutsis, Africans, Zulus, Igbos, Kurds, Persians, all sorts of different tribes and peoples. All their language groups will be there also. And guess what they'll be singing? Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. The curse of Babel will be reversed. Isn't this a wonderful picture of unity in diversity? This is the the destination that we're all headed for. Joining with people from every nation, tribe, and tongue to praise the Lord God Himself for all eternity. This is heaven's glory. And it seems like a good idea in our increasingly international cities to get ourselves focused on that now. We are committed to diversity in the church because it reflects heaven's glory. We reach out to diverse communities because one day we will stand as a community of diverse people and sing the praise of the God who saved us forevermore. We're building intercultural expressions of church because that's where we're going. And it expresses and reflects the wonder of heaven. And so as we look at our society around us, there are many barriers and divisions between people. There is much strife and consternation and brokenness and misunderstanding. But the church is a redeemed community. The gospel smashes the dividing walls of hostility. The gospel brings reconciliation. The gospel brings unity. In the church, people from every tribe and tongue gather on the same basis. In the church, believing people from every nation are united as one despite all of the superficial differences. And in our increasingly international cities, our churches will be increasingly multi-ethnic, increasingly multilingual, increasingly intercultural gatherings because it's God's plan, because it's Christ's command, because it's essential for health, because it reflects heaven's glory. So let's give thanks to God for what he's doing among us in our cities in these days. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your desire is that the nations might resound to the praise of your glorious grace. That your desire is that people from every tribe and tongue and nation would come to the Lord Jesus Christ, find salvation in him, and enjoy you forevermore. We pray, Father, you would help us to be effective missionaries in our cities, in our workplaces, among our neighbors, 
that we would be committed to reaching all kinds of different people with the good news of Jesus Christ and making space for them in all of their ways in our gatherings. And as we do so, may we enjoy that taste of heaven's glory, that taste of what's yet to come. This we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, let's stand together and praise God as we sing, Great is thy faithfulness.